This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Recovery Radio. My name is Steve Martoreno. We're here on Saturdays talking about the disease of addiction and the road to recovery. Recovery Radio is, of course, sponsored by the good, good people of Retreat Premier Addiction Treatment Centers, about which more uh, a little bit later. So here we are approaching, uh, well, day one of September. Uh, mercifully, uh, uh, summer will uh, get out of the way quick enough and maybe this heat with it, and we can begin to uh, enjoy autumn. Yesterday uh, marked uh, something that I frankly was not aware of, uh, and that is an uh, international effort to raise the awareness about the situation vis-a-vis overdose, overdosing, um, with regards, obviously, to the substance abuse problem. International Overdose Awareness Day. Um, every month, every year uh, at uh, the 31st of, uh, of uh, August, uh, a day is set aside by this organization to, and I'll quote from their, um, from their website, to uh, raise on a global level um, the, the rese- uh, re- re- remembrance is the word I'm looking for, and awareness as well as educating people towards action they can take to eliminate overdose deaths. And that's what uh, Overdose Awareness Day is all about. This is one of those things that's both a good idea because of a horrible situation. Uh, everyone at this point is familiar with the problem of substance abuse. It has been with us probably from the beginning of time. So there's nothing new about that. The, the discussion in, in the past was framed pretty straightforwardly. There is a problem. People abuse substances. They have a disease that makes them susceptible to being addicted. Treatment is necessary. That's pretty much the way this discussion has historically been framed. There is now another um, dynamic and tragic aspect to this story, and that is the number of people who are dying now of overdoses associated with substance abuse. Yes, people in the past have overdosed and passed away as a result of this disease, but never to the extent we have seen over the past handful of years. It is, there's no other word, it's a slaughter out there now. So it's good to talk about overdose so that as an informed person, you can be aware that it's, it's out there, it's a real danger, and it's killing people in staggering numbers. We're going to talk about some of the efforts that are underway now to stem, you know, this the tide of, of, of these deaths and focus on the harm reduction efforts that center around the use of Narcan. And we'll tell you what Narcan is and how it's administered and, and uh, why it's important to know all this. To that end, we're going to have a couple of guests today, first of which is my neighbor here at Retreat's outpatient facility. Our, our radio station is built down in the corner of the great facility they have here in the basement, uh, and our, our most immediate neighbors next door are the transportation guys. And uh, Chris Hecker is the manager of that uh, department, and he's a great neighbor, a great friend, and a terrific guest. He's been on the show before. Chris, thanks for joining us on Recovery Radio. Thank you for having me, Steve. It's good to see you again. You know, I, I say this the last time you were on the show, and I've interviewed your guys, your drivers. Uh, I, I say this many, many times. G- getting to treatment and then beginning recovery, hopefully, is a long process. There are many stops along the way. Uh, this is a, a chain that has to be built very strongly so that people have a good chance of getting sober. And for, for my money, there may not be a more critical 
moment in that chain or link in that chain than what you guys do. So, so tell us as the transportation manager, what do you, what do, you do? Well, what we do is uh, we go and we pick up patients, uh, usually from their homes, could be from other, uh, you know, another medical facility, and we bring them into inpatient. We're basically the first uh, live contact as far as a person talking with them and their families uh, when we arrive at their residence. If you know anything about this disease, as I said, you know uh, what an extraordinary effort it takes to even form the idea in your head that you need treatment, then getting there, you know. And I, it never occurred to me until I started talking to you guys and doing this program that, yeah, the, the, now what? Okay, I need treatment. Now what? So you, you guys provide that absolutely critical last mile because, after all, no matter how good your treatment may, may ultimately be or how smart and effective your clinicians are, uh, if you can't get to rehab, can't get the treatment, then, then nothing's going nothing's gonna to work. Your job has been made even more difficult with this alarming rise in overdose, correct? Definitely. It's, uh, it's tough to say. We're never sure what we're going to walk into when we arrive at a residence. Yeah, you know you're not going to arrive into a good situation. This is somebody in crisis already. But we now know that the chances of that person absolutely dying in that, in that last, you know, figuratively that last mile uh, is greater now than ever. And we know why. Fentanyl is the chief culprit here. There's some very deadly stuff on the streets. What are your guys, you guys have obviously had to be retrained for this, correct? Definitely. We've, uh, we all carry Narcan in our vehicles um, to be able to administer. We're trained on, uh, you know, the procedures to administer that. We're also trained on um, how we provide aid after we administer Narcan and uh, the procedures we need to take after we have to do so. Let's explain for people who might not know what Narcan is and what it is intended to do. What is Narcan? Narcan is a medicine that's administered. Uh, we use a nasal spray, uh, for lack of better words. It's, uh, they do have a shot form, but we don't carry that in our cars. And uh, it's administered through, up through the nose, and it counteracts um, like the effects of an opiate drug. It literally stops what the drug is doing at that moment and, I guess, in effect, detoxes a, a person. Is that right? Definitely. Uh, it, it's a blocker, so it would definitely, uh, for lack of better words, like kill the high and uh, hopefully, you know, get them back into consciousness. Yeah. We, we talked earlier before you came on the air about this, and while you have not personally had to administer Narcan to anybody, lots of your drivers have, right? Yeah, we, we've, we've had to on occasions. So... What is it? What does an overdose look like when someone is overdosing from a substance abuse problem? What What are they going through? What are you seeing? Uh, most times, um, when we're bringing them in, um, if they're high on an opiate, they're going to be kind of falling asleep, uh, called nodding out. Uh, it kind of looks similar to that, um, but they basically will become unresponsive. Somebody that's uh, feeling effects of the chemical that they did, they will definitely wake up or you know move. Um, you know, if you call their name or, you know, kind of tap them on the shoulder. But uh, a patient that's, uh, you know, having an overdose isn't going to be able to respond. Um, and at that point, we would look for uh, breathing to see how shallow their breathing is and also a pulse. Yeah. Uh, you guys aren't Uber drivers. This is not like calling a cab where they sit in the back seat and, and you sort of uh, – ignore them. What, what are your drivers doing when, when you're driving? They're looking through the rearview mirror. Are they talking? What, what happens? Uh, we try to uh, ensure that the patient, um, and if we're picking up one, is in the front seat beside us. That gives us the ability to uh, keep an eye on them more closely. But we are definitely uh, 
you know, checking in with the patient. Uh, we go up to four hours one way to pick somebody up. So we could have quite a long ride yeah. back with someone to keep an eye on. Yeah. So, so it's, it's not like you're, you know, as I said, it's not like calling a cab and uh, all, all, your, all your job is uh, to do is to deliver, deliver the person. Your work begins the, mom- the moment you see them. So if someone, if someone is in a situation where maybe a family member uh, is abusing substances and, and they're uh, you know, wondering, you know, when do you administer Narcan? Again, let's, let's go through those signs so that people might know what an overdose looks like. Sure. You want to look like if, if someone's non-responsive, if you're shouting their name and you're kind of shaking them or kind of nudging them on the shoulder and they're not moving, um, and you can always check for their breathing, uh, just like fingers under the nose, see if you can feel their breath and uh, their pulse as well. Um, one thing that's, uh, one thing about Narcan is it does have, it has no effect for anything else. So if, if someone is unclear whether to Narcan somebody or not, you won't hurt them by Narcanning them. So it's always better safe ah, than sorry. Ah, so that's a that is a great uh, tip to know right now. This this this, this can't be mis, misused. Uh, do we? How do people get Narcan? Do you just buy it, or do you? How do you? How do people get a Narcan prescription? Well, pretty much anybody can get a Narcan prescription. The Surgeon General has put out uh, basically a nationwide prescription for Narcan. So you can just walk into a pharmacy and uh, let them know that you need a prescription for Narcan. I believe it's an out-of-pocket expense, but uh, anyone can walk into a pharmacy and, and get uh, Narcan. Yeah, you, you don't need to demonstrate that you absolutely have to have it or you've used it in the past. How often can Narcan be administered to someone and still be effective? Uh, normally, like we carry one dose. Um, you can give quite a few doses of it. I know they do at the hospital. Um, so we give one dose, and then we alert uh, emergency, emergency medical to come to us. But it can be uh, given multiple times. Yeah. yeah. Once, once you've administered Narcan, then, you, then you're calling for backup. Yeah, we're yeah. calling 911. Um, what do your drivers tell you? And we're, we're going to have a fellow on the second half of the program um, who, who has, um, who's now in successful recovery but has been uh, overdosed a couple of times. And we'll, and we'll get a deeper dive into – you know, what that's like at that end of the situation. But what do your guys tell you is the general, if this is true, general reaction to someone who is overdosing and then you give them Narcan? Normally, um, if they come out of consciousness, they're, uh, they're not going to be in a very good mood. Um, we basically uh, killed their high and they go into precipitative withdrawal and they're sick. They're, so they're not feeling too well. Uh, patients are usually pretty angry or can become aggressive. So we just are aware of that when we do it and uh, just try to give them as the best medical attention we can give them. Have you ever heard of or had the experience of somebody asking for Narcan? No, usually they're, uh, if we're administering Narcan, they're not responding to us in any way. Yeah. So again, this is a revelation for people who don't know. And I've, I've heard this from a lot of people who have administered Narcan, that the, 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 the person who, who's overdosing is not grateful. No, definitely not. So, so are they are they dope sick? That's the phrase used. Are they dope sick when, when after the Narcan takes takes effect? Uh, usually, yeah, because it, the Narcan will basically like kind of stop all effects of opiates that's in their system. So they're gonna when they come to, they're not going to be feeling too well. It kind of sends them into immediate withdrawal. Yeah, uh, Chris Hecker is our guest. Chris is the transportation manager for Retreat Premier Addiction Treatment Centers, and he's talking to us about. Well, 
what's become almost Article One in what they do, what he does anyway, and certainly what they do now at treatment facilities and hospitals all over this country. And that is the first thing to do is to stop someone from dying before we can begin the process of treating the disease of addiction. Welcome back to Recovery Radio. Our guest in in the studio this week is uh, Chris Hecker. Chris is the transportation manager for retreat, and uh, he's telling us uh, about the process of getting people, you know, that that last mile, as I keep referring to it, from the decision to go to treatment to actually getting to a facility because, as you know, lots of people don't make it. We're talking to Chris in particular about overdose in the context of, uh, of getting somebody into treatment since yesterday uh, marked a month-long program that's done every year to raise awareness and remembrance of people who have, uh, who, who have uh, unfortunately died from an overdose. International Overdose Awareness Day. They, they have a website if you want more information about them. But as I said, it, it kicked off on uh, yesterday, on the 31st, and uh, runs for a month to that end. So l- let's uh, talk, t- go back again and talk about this process because, as I said, it was, it was news to me. I never thought, well, what happens when somebody says, I want to go to treatment? How do they get there? When, when you guys roll up to get somebody, uh, do, do you take them with their family members? Um, who, who, who gets to go? How does that work? Generally, when we go in, we will meet the family or someone from the family and uh, the patient. Uh, usually have a, a fairly brief conversation. We go over a little bit of our family program that we have here with them, and we give them some paperwork uh, about that. And then uh, we just kind of load up the patient's luggage and we you know head on down the road. I know you've done this. I mean, you, you say you have no personal experience with reviving somebody overdosing, but you have plenty of experience in transporting people. Characterize how happy they are about this ride they're about to take. Uh, happy, I wouldn't say, is a word right. uh, for this, but uh, um, it, it's kind of a gamut of emotions. You know, some people are grateful. Um, you know, we're basically, you know, getting clean, you're basically losing your best friend. So uh, they're, they're grateful, you know, to try to get another shot at recovery and treatment. And uh, sometimes they're angry. Sometimes they're uh, – most times they're intoxicated. So uh, Oh, really? Most times they're intoxicated. So sometimes they're having fun listening to the radio, uh, you know, singing along with the songs. And then two minutes later they're, you know, crying. Yeah. So, uh, uh, how many uh, of them in, in your experience have tried to talk you out of, out of taking them there? Let me let me out at the next red light, sort of thing. Uh, so, you know that that happens on occasion. Uh, most people, once they get in the car, you know they're kind of you know they know they're going, and uh, you know w- there's not many issues on the way here. But uh, on occasion, people want to get you know they say drop me off, and uh, you know we're not uh, police. Um, if if we try to talk to them as best we can to keep them in the vehicle, but if they uh, request to get out, we have to let them out. Yeah, I mean the back doors aren't locked. That they can't. I mean they can get out, right? Definitely. We, we try to get them to, to convince them if they're going to do that, let us get you to a safe location where we can pull over to let you out. And uh, we try to do our best to get them there. Yeah, and then immediately contact their people as, we, well, as well as your people, right? Yeah, they, they would contact uh, – my driver would contact me or whatever supervisor is on duty, and we would start to uh, alert um, admissions and alert other people uh, that this is happening while the driver that's on site will try to continue to talk with the patient, and uh, most times we get them back in the car. Yeah. Uh, again, I guess maybe I, maybe it's just me. I wasn't informed about this, but um, I guess there's a lot of people out there who 
you know, after trying to get somebody help or even an individual saying, I got to get help, this idea of how do I get there doesn't really, uh, you know, occur to them. So what, when they were call retreat, do people most often say, can you come get me? Or does that happen? Or do you have to say to them, we're going to come get you? Uh, most times our admissions, uh, we'll talk to them and, and just check if they have transportation in. Um, it's kind of 50-50 whether the ride-in with a family member can be, you know, a positive experience, whether we just need to come or whether we just need to come get them. And, you know, the situations aren't normally the best at home. So we can bring in, we come in as a neutral party just to kind of not only help the patient um, get into the car and come with us, but also to relieve the family of like, okay, we'll get him there. You don't have to worry about it. You guys have an, an amazing job. It's interesting on, on, on so many levels. You got to be part psychologist, um, you know, part friendly, friendly voice. As you're looking through that rearview mirror, um, are, are you looking? Well, first of all, you're looking for signs that they may be in distress. Correct? Definitely. We always look uh, that you know their their health is the most important. Has anybody ever gotten high actually in the back of the car while while they're being transported? Uh, we do our best to uh, to uh, not have that happen. Um, we'll pull over sometimes if we have to, you know, kind of threaten, be like, you need to get out of the car if you're going to do this type of stuff. Um, we do our best to get them in safely. Uh, I'm going to, um, you know, let, let you get back to your your, uh, your important work here. But uh, you bo- you are in recovery yourself now for, for, for many years. You have been administered Narcan. I have, yeah. yeah what, would you, what would you say to... Anybody who has this disease in their life, you know, either actively it's their disease or family members about Narcan. Uh, I would say the biggest thing is uh, I, I probably wouldn't be sitting here talking if it wasn't for Narcan. And uh, my overdose was when it wasn't as uh, wide known as it is now. Pretty much um, doctors and hospitals were the only ones that could administer it. But it definitely Narcan can make the difference between life and death. And so people understand the stakes right now. When when you were being you know revived from from your overdoses, as as bad as that situation is, you were in less danger at that moment of dying than today. Correct? Yeah. The the things that they're putting in uh, the different chemicals on the street now it's way stronger, um, and it, it's killing people left and right. You know so. Uh, that one bag can can make all the difference if uh, somebody's going to pull through or not. I know you've heard this, and I have as well. I'll, I'll let you go on this. What do you say to people who go, why would you revise these, revive these people with this stuff? But they're, you're only going to get high again. We just got to give everybody a chance to recover from this disease. You know, um, it, it doesn't matter where you come from, who you are, uh, what color you are. Everyone has opportunity to recover from this disease, and we just got to um, – you know, keep them alive till they can get there. Exactly. Chris Hecker, thank, thanks so much, Chris. We, we really appreciate your time. In the uh, next segment, we're going to find out uh, what, what that whole process you just described is like from the, uh, from, from the other side of the equation. Chris Hecker, Transportation Manager for Retreat, Premier Addiction Treatment Centers, has been our guest. Uh, uh, stick around. I've got an extraordinary uh, young, young fellow to tell you his story with overdosing. Welcome back to Recovery Radio. Steve Martorano with you, uh, reminding you that we're here Saturdays. We're talking about the disease of addiction and the whole thing sponsored by Retreat Premier Addiction Treatment Centers. We want to thank uh, Chris Hecker from the Transportation Department to tell us about the, their role in harm reduction now, uh, which is uh, basically centered around the use of Narcan and saving people's lives 
yesterday, um, this being uh, um, Saturday on the 31st of August, was international the beginning of International Overdose Awareness Day. It's a month-long effort to educate people about what's going on here now. It's remarkable. I said this earlier. I'll say it again. It's remarkable that we're now at a state of affairs where we need an international overdose awareness day. And it's very controversial. Narcan is, I think, misunderstood by, by some people uh, who, who still seem to think it's enabling people to continue this behavior. So we're, we're taking a deep look into that. But I, I want to remind you again about Retreat and why they sponsor this program. They I tell you every week, it's not because they're, I'm here to tell you they're the only place they can get you sober or help you. They're great. They have a you know, sterling reputation. They've helped lots and lots of people. But they sponsor this program as an informational tool. So if there's any questions you have about the topic today or anything about substance abuse or treatment, a retreat will answer your questions. So uh, write the number down, and uh, I hope you never have to use it. Uh, 855-859-8808. That's how you reach them. Retreat Premier Addiction Treatment Centers, 855-859-8808. Our guest is a fellow who knows a little bit, a a lot about uh, uh, substance abuse and uh, what happens when you're revived by Narcan. And and he's going to give us, you know, his first person uh, experience of what you know, the stakes are and what it feels like. Brian Dohaney is our guest in the studio. He is now 18 months uh, in uh, sobriety, and uh, we, we welcome him to the program. Hi, Brian, thanks so much for your time. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, I got to get you to speak up just a little. You're okay. a little soft-spoken. Thanks for having me. So um, we've had lots of folks, you know, talk about their treatment and how many times in and out of recovery. We have you here, as you know, for, for a very specific reason. You have overdosed more than a few times, correct? Absolutely. Um, I've overdosed with the need of Narcan uh, to assist me in recovery f- uh, at least 10 times, upwards of 15. Um, and each time, I think there was only one time that only one dose of Narcan was needed, actually. T- tell us about the uh, tell us about the first time uh, you, you, someone administered Narcan to you. What, what was that like? Um, the first time someone administered Narcan to me was actually uh, it wasn't a medical attendant, it wasn't a paramedic, it wasn't a fire uh, fire department person. It was actually somebody that I was running uh, the streets with that happened to at a needle exchange get a box of Narcan for free. So it was made available at that point um, to addicts that were actively using in case they needed it um, readily available. So it happened to be in the glove box of the car that I was in. And um, it was discharged to me by somebody who used the same amount and the same drug that I did. Um, you, you say he got the Narcan, or they got they got the Narcan from a needle exchange program? Yes. Yeah. Um, it was in Baltimore, uh, that he received it. It was a box of the auto injectors. How, how long ago was this? It's 2018. This was probably 2015. 2000. Yeah, 2015. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it's um, interesting to note. And correct me if you think I'm wrong, but overdosing three years ago was different than overdosing today. I mean, the stakes. You were in less danger of dying of that overdose then even though that was a possibility, than we are today. We're going to talk a little bit about why that is straight ahead. But um, 
So he, he gives you the Narcan, and what happens? Uh, well, I don't think it worked immediately. He discharged it again and then called 911. Um, by the time anybody got there, I had uh, I woke up and um, responded, and I still had to go to the hospital. Um, the first time was not as memorable for me as I can think of two very memorable times for me that were actually like extremely scary. And yeah. it's, it sounds it sounds weird to say that only two of those times were actually scary to me. Um, but when you're lost in that way. Yeah, I, I am going to ask you about that because uh, let's let's focus on this first time. Mm. Were you aware that you were overdosing or did this feel like a nod out from, you know, from, from your using. It definitely felt different. Um, it was, uh, I was under the suspicion that there was something more in it. You knew that right after it hit you? Immediately as I tasted it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And uh, did you say to your, uh, your uh, running partner, hey, something's up? I don't think I really had time. I was more trying to catch my breath. and. This happens fast, doesn't it? Very fast. comes over you. Uh, you start to lose your hearing. Your vision blurs. But that's sort of normal with opiate, opiate use in general. Right, right. It's just a very – it just hits you all at once, and you know it's, it's not going to end well in a way. Um, yeah. But at the same time, it's, uh, you just kind of feel like you're going to sleep. I would say. Yes. Yeah. Uh, how did – I don't know whether you know the answer to this, but how did your, uh, your uh, partner there recognize that this wasn't the normal reaction you were having? Well, there's a difference between – they call it nodding out, quote-unquote, um, and then being completely unresponsive. Blue lips, blue fingernails. Um, there's what I've come to learn. I don't know if this is an actual medical term, the death gurgle. Um, the respiratory system slows down to the point where your throat – you're, you start to choke on your own tongue and you start to choke on your own tongue and uh so you're making some weird noises yeah just a low gurgling struggling to breathe unresponsive eyes rolling back in the head um those are all pretty good indicators you know what a lot of people wonder that's going on you're slipping into oblivion mm -hmm. uh you know something's wrong maybe you're not in fear for your life at that instant then you're revived through the use of narcan and um, you still use. Absolutely. Do you have a, an answer for somebody who might go, well, why in the world would you do that again after having gone through that? Um, I would only describe it as insanity, absolute insanity. Uh, I, I can remember a time in Lancaster that I had overdosed and been defibrillated back to life, strapped to a board. That's one of the more memorable, t memorable times. Um, and went to the hospital, and when I came to after being taken to the hospital they hadn't searched me and i still had what i used on me in my pocket and unplugged myself and went to the bathroom and did the same thing in the hospital in the hospital immediately afterward yeah that's the other uh, remarkable thing about what this disease does to your brain do you recall being particularly those first couple of times when you were uh, revived from an overdose do you, do you remember being angry that you were no longer high absolutely uh, there was a time, another, this was a separate occasion in, in Lancaster City. I woke to uh, two police officers and a paramedic holding me down. Um, the last thing I had remembered was like the peace and serenity of, you know, opiate use. And I woke up to uh, a needle in my leg and three people in my face screaming at me. So I, I didn't know what else to do but swing. 
Um, plus, my pants were down, so I kind of was taken off guard by that. Your but, pants were down because of the injection? Right. Uh, and you don't know what's going on. You I just see no, lots. I, you, you completely black out. There's no way you would have any idea what's going on until you come back, too. So. And you're, and you're awake. There's a bunch of people holding you down. Yeah, my ex-girlfriend's in the background screaming my name as if something's going on. So, so I think my street sense is telling me I'm being attacked. So you're flailing. I'm flailing. I'm swinging. I'm screaming. I'm kicking. Um, yeah. But the reason my pants are down is that they have to. Yeah, they have to give you the the inside, uh, the IV the injection. Yeah. Um, Chris Dohaney is our guest. He he's been uh, uh, revived uh, m- w- medically at least a, a dozen times because of his uh, severe severe heroin um, habit. Um, so uh, this this period of time when you when you are, are using this heavily um, and you're being revived. Do you grow grateful to the, or is it just routine for you after the sixth time, the seventh time? Is this just part of your addiction that you're going to, you know, if you're lucky, you'll get revived? Is that the way you're looking at it? I don't think I was thinking ever in that sense that if I'm lucky, I'll get revived. Um, I don't think I was ever, unfortunately, and it sucks to say this now in the the mindset that I'm in, but I don't think I was ever looking to get revived. Um, I was on a warpath. Yeah. You know, the, um, unfortunately, my insanity drove me to the point where I didn't care whether I lived or died. Yeah. Well, see, that's an interesting point for people because uh, how often have we read someone dies of an accidental overdose? And, and my, my view is that it seems to me that overwhelmingly they're accidents unless, of course, you're taking the shot because you want to die. Right. You never did that, did you? No. Not I consciously. Never, not consciously loaded it up with the intention of dying. Of dying. But, but there is this, you know, who cares? This nihilistic view of whatever yeah you just all you're trying to do is get high higher than i did earlier that right day. and if you die well you don't even get to that point if i die right you're not thinking that way no if i die there's not much that i'm losing anyway at that point in my life you know right you got, you got a lot yeah a lot less to lose than yeah than, living on the street than most people so after after 10 narcans mm-hmm. are you building a tolerance to it or what happens i would say so um i could definitely see a pattern with how many times they would discharge it. Now, there's a maximum time of, I think it's four of the nasal, and then IV, it might be around three, and that might, that's just a general thing that somebody told me once after I'd woken up. But there was a time I actually came to the retreat uh, for treatment. Um, I had to come in, and they had to discharge four doses on me in there and send me out to the hospital. I couldn't keep conscious. And there was a nurse there named Laura, who I'm still in touch with, uh, that actually I would credit with saving me. And one of the only memories I have after walking in that door was her looking at me in the eye and, um, you know, just screaming my name. And I could see the pain in, uh, in her eyes because there was nothing. I, I just kept slipping in and out. And that's all I remember. And then um, I ended up coming back there and staying for a treatment for a little while until my insurance cut me. And um, I remember just crying on her shoulder and just thanking her. For, for saving me because in that little blip of sobriety that I had, you know, I'm a completely different person like I am today. Welcome back to Recovery Radio. I'm Steve Martirano. Gee, I, you know, if this program is not speaking directly to you about the problems with substance abuse and, and the road to recovery and treatments is available, uh, I dare say you know somebody who probably needs this information. So if you've heard anything today that you think is interesting and you know somebody who ought to be listening to this program, we'd appreciate you telling us, telling them about us. Recovery Radio is on 
uh, Saturdays at 6 o'clock, and you can hear us on uh, the radio station's website, or you can go to Retreat's website where we archive all of our uh, old programs. Uh, In uh, recognition of International Overdose Awareness Day, which began yesterday, we're talking about overdose. It's it's, uh, unbelievable that a day like this is even necessary, but the number of people who are now dying every single day from an overdose is astronomically higher than it has ever been. Uh, it is a wholesale slaughter. So when you hear people go, why, why are they doing this? Why are they reviving people who are only going to get high again? It's so they can get another chance. It's as simple as that. Get another chance and maybe they'll finally get it together and get sober. That is the case with Brian Doheny, who is our guest in the studio now. Uh, I don't think I asked you how old you were. How old are you? I'm 24. 24 years old. So he, so he's done his share of abusing uh, all kinds of drugs up to and including heroin, and he has overdosed multiple times, having to be revived at least a dozen times by Narcan. Uh, Brian, we have, you know, uh, this segment, we'll, we'll talk about that. I mean, people go, you know, what, what are you doing? Why are they reviving these people? They're only going to get high again. You're not a... a a dumb guy, I can tell that already. You, you know that the heroin that's out there now mm-hmm. has there's almost no margin of error now because it's laced with all kinds of uh, terrible, terrible stuff that can kill people. So they revive you multiple times, and you and you uh, you keep you keep coming back. Uh, did you view those times as another opportunity to get high or another another opportunity to get your act together? I think in a way it's both. Um, Starting off when you wake up from overdosing, I think it's you, – you're faced with a decision is with, uh, with the, the scare that you get from, from overdosing and nearly dying and, and possibly someone contacting your family and having to talk to them, which I had to do multiple times. Um, and then there's, there's two paths you go. You, you can either go back to the same thing. That's easy. You're already in that life. You can walk back and call the same guy. You can go back and get with the same people and keep doing what you're doing. And maybe it'll all be over soon. Or you can turn around and try to start your life over with a criminal record, uh, with scars on your arms, with hair longer than your shoulders, without able, without the ability to get a job, without a finished education, living on the street without a shower to go to. You know, um, starting over in that sense is a lot harder than I think people perceive it. This is going to sound ridiculous, but you, you are obviously grateful. Absolutely. That, that Narcan worked all those times. Absolutely. And um, you obviously had something uh, that motivated you to get get back up and, and try again. Now, going on a year and a half of sobriety, what's, what's different for you now? Um, what's different for me now is the ability to, to be there to help somebody. Um, and I think that was what I was missing for a long time was I was looking at this selfishly was – I was hoping something would make me better so I could be better, you know. Um, And what I found was the true path was to try and reach your hand out to somebody else in any way that you can. And um, just that little bit of effect you can have on someone else that's just like me. They might not look like me. They might not be the same age as me or from the same place. But just like me in the sense that we feel the same pain, um, I think that's what means the most to me in life. Uh, I, I have a friend who uh, was struggling for a long time. And um, 
I was taking care of him for a little bit. He wasn't eating. He wasn't sleeping. He was getting lost in the street. And I was driving around with friends trying to find him and bring him back to his apartment. And, um, you know, I, I took him into detox a couple times in clothes. And, and this is in sobriety this time. Uh, and just a couple weeks ago, he now he's doing better um, on his own. And just a couple weeks ago, he sent me a text and said, hey, man, I... I went and helped this guy today. And I said, it's, a, it's an awesome feeling, isn't it? And he texted me back. He said, um, you did it for me. And just that gave me chills. You mm-hmm. know, I did something that had an effect on someone that now in turn had an effect on someone else. Yeah, it's a yeah. chain reaction. Yeah. You know? it, it, these are all cliches, you know, but when people go, yeah, you help people, it, it helps you. But it's a cliche because it's true. Right. Um, you're, you're now vested in your sobriety. Mm-hmm. And, and clearly... Um, if if you can help other people, then it's going to make you uh, more vested in your sobriety. Absolutely, it solidifies it. For have you, you you must have seen a lot of your friends die, right? Just uh, last week, I lost a friend. I just got a tattoo on my arm for him. And uh, uh, overdose, right? Overdose. Yeah. How many times uh, were they where you were, and they didn't make it? Where I was. Sa- same kind of history as yours, right? In the same room, or how many? No, I mean do the I same. Know? Just the same pattern you were on. Oh, uh, countless. Yeah, the difference between – and this is what I tell people about uh, uh, who don't understand relapse and all of this, that it, as, long as, you, as long as you're not dead, you can there's, get back up and try shot. again. As long as you're breathing. As long as you're breathing, you've got an opportunity. Well, uh, Brian, uh, it's a harrowing story, obviously, but thanks for sharing it with us. Uh, and, and, um, and good luck, uh, continued success with your sobriety. We appreciate uh, your time. And everybody else, uh, again, it's awful that we should have to uh, denote – a month of the year to uh, overdose awareness, but that's that's the stakes that we're facing right now. Um, thanks for joining us on Recovery Radio, and we uh, we hope you'll join us again next week. Take care, everybody. This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management.